Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome back for another mini-series here on the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Moore, very happily drafted in to chat all things gravel riding, and more specifically, the future of gravel. You're tuning into Bike Radar, so of course we're going to be talking about all the shiny new tech developments in the off-road drop bar world, but we're also going to explore how gravel riding and gravel racing are evolving, as well as the role of new off-road communities. We're kicking off our four-part series with our pal and fellow cycling journalist from across the pond, Ben Delaney, as well as our very own Jack Luke here in the studio. Welcome both. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for coming to Bike Radar. We always love you having here. (laughs) How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. Good to be with you through the miracles of technology across the ocean. Yep, and having to get on very early. We do appreciate it. (laughs) Happy to be here. Happy to be here. So then before we get out the bike radar crystal ball and look too far ahead about what's coming in the gravel world, let's just take a moment to reflect on how we got here. So Ben, you've been in and around gravel and and bikes for probably longer than any of us. Since the dawn of time. I was going to say that's a very gentle way of saying old man Delaney from across the pond. I'm full of tact. So so old, it's incredible he managed to get on the Zoom call today. Let's just take a moment to acknowledge that. (laughs) Do you rem- do you remember a specific time where, for you, gravel came into existence, or has this always been a thing? Oh, I, I have a, a a crystal memory of when 
gravel came into my consciousness and it had already been going for some time. I was working at Bella News at the time, I was editor there, uh, bike racing publication in North America. And Nick Legan, a gravel guru in his own right, was our technical editor at the time. And he had come back from an event then called Dirty Kanza raving about what a wonderful time it was. And there was one of him and then there was the rest of us in the building. And the more examples he gave of why this was such a great thing, the more we were convinced that this was a terrible idea. <laughs> and like, he'd bring out photos and be like, look at this. We're like, yeah, terrible. Like, and then I had to hide in a ditch because there was like a, a tornado blowing over. And it was, I was like, yes, again, terrible idea. So that was, I don't remember the precise year, but I definitely remember that moment. And Nick went on to write, like literally write the book. On yeah, gravel look at that. Cycling. He's pulled it up on camera. Very good. Yeah, I still have books. How old is Delaney? He's so old. He pulls up books <laughs> on a podcast as reference, not understanding how the media works. That the listeners cannot see the book, but listeners, I am holding in my hand a a book printed on dead trees from 2017. Where yeah, Nick, uh, which I yeah fully endorse this book for gear and and the number of events, the breadth of events. Um, so was I. I was alive at the in the darkest earliest times, but I was unaware when, like you know, Trans Iowa is the event a lot of folks point to as the genesis in the beginning. In the beginning, Guitar Ted created Trans Iowa. Mark, a man named Mark Stevenson, who also created Gravel Grinder News, arguably the first gravel media outlet. Uh, Trans Iowa is a three hundred thirty mile odyssey across the American state of Iowa. And, uh, you know, navigation was a key part of the concept, you know, it's, you know, it's exploration, it's adventure, you know, it's riding on gravel roads, because in America, there's like one and a half million miles of gravel roads. Um, And, you know, pushing the boundaries, you know, pushing your own boundaries was a key element, that's something that still remains. And it's, you know, taken all sorts of, you know, weird, beautiful modification mutations, as we go along, but I think that original spirit of going somewhere you've never been before physically, metaphorically, emotionally, however you want to take it is still a key part of it. So how there, that's a long answer to a short question for you. And did you come at it from an angle of, you know, road cycling, mountain biking, bit of everything? Uh, personally, a bit of everything, you know, roads like BMX bike as a kid, did my first paper route on a BMX bike and then a 10 speed. So yeah, I've ridden bikes with different sizes and shapes of tires and handlebars. Um, but, you know, that pivotal point at Velenews, I was road guy. Um, so that was my orientation. And, you know, we like to ride a lot of dirt roads. A lot of the old heads would say, oh, gravel's nothing new. We've been doing, we've been riding dirt roads <laughs> on our road bikes for years with 23 tires and we liked it that way. So yeah, gravel bikes was like a bit of an extension of something we already doing. And for some of the same reasons that people often say, it's just nice to cover long distances on a relatively efficient bike, not right next to 18 wheeled trucks and cars going a million miles an hour. How about you, Jack? Do you have any sort of crystal clear memories like that? I um, So I did a lot of what I would call gravel riding way back in the day. I, I grew up in the Highlands in Scotland. And there was lots of, not a million and a half miles worth of gravel roads, but there was a lot of good stuff up there. And much like you, Ben, I kind of, I well, I actually came more from a mountain biking background. <clears throat> so gravel appealed to me more than anything. But it was definitely the appeal of being off the roads at that time that, that I liked. But for specifically, 
as an event. I remember working in a bike shop in Edinburgh in 2015, so before I started Bike Radar. And I remember hearing about the Dirty Reaver that was taking place, and that was in April 2016 was the first one. That was the UK's first, like, proper, what they described as Midwestern-style gravel ride, <laughs> which is basically a long, boring ride on gravel. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, this is what, like, Nick was showing us. Like, that looks so boring. It looks hard and boring. But, yes, yeah, but 200k, 200K gravel ride, basically around forestry roads in the north of England, kind of bordered with Scotland. And... um it looked really cool, like really, really cool. And I, I remember being quite taken by it. But I can't remember why I couldn't do it that first year it took place. Incidentally, our very own Joe Norledge, formerly of Bike Radar, I think he came second. Wow. I think he may have won it, actually, that first year. But anyway. And boy, Joe. Well, he's a good boy. And then I ended up riding it, well, what would have been the second edition? Yes, the second edition in 2017. And that was my first taste of like a proper gravel event. And I was wildly underprepared. And on a completely inappropriate bike. But for me, that's like the sort of watershed moment. I think the arrival of the Dirty Reaver in the UK for like gravel racing in the way that we know it. I think gravel riding, though, is a sort of general thing. has been around for much, much longer. Of course, much like your grumpy old men in the Midwest, there's always been people who have taken road bikes off road. The kind of rough stuff fellowship is the classic example here in the UK. But there's been events as well prior to this. We, should, we shouldn't just frame gravel riding about around events, but it's a helpful sort of marker. Sure, sure. But there's there's been long been events in the UK which have um, you know, aligned themselves with gravel before gravel was a thing. But as a watershed moment, I would say the arrival of Dirty Reaver. Nice. And then that seems like such a long time ago. And so much has changed. You know, you can go into a bike shop and you see gravel bikes lined up with almost equal sort of square meterage amongst mountain bikes and road bikes. And you even on, this is my favorite one, on um, tire websites, you see gravel in an, its own category now, mm-hmm. <laughs> which has taken a while. But, you know, how have we got here? Why? What is it about gravel riding that's made it so massively popular? Was it just really good timing with lockdowns and everybody wanting to do something different? Or, you know, what do you think, Ben? Why is it so massively popular? eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. I think, yeah, COVID definitely gave a boost to many types of riding, for sure. I don't know if gravel benefited from that exclusively. Um, yeah, I think some of the points we've touched on, like getting away from cars, exploration, uh, and it seems to be in some ways like a bit of a sweet spot between road cycling and mountain biking and that you've got some of the the fitness and exploration long distance and you know, social elements of road riding with some of the more fun exploratory bits of mountain biking. Um, but it's not to the far extreme of either. Like I'd like to think that most types of gravel riding are not off-puttingly scary the way you say you put someone on a or come up bike at the top of a dual slalom course like that, man, maybe that's not <laughs> a good idea. Um, or, you know, criterium racing to someone who does not ride bikes, that's might not be the most welcoming entrance, but, you know, point somebody down a pretty road, whether that's in Scotland or in Kansas, 
um, just nice and quiet, put your, you know, picnic in the, in the back and off you go with some friends that, yeah, that's, that seems like a nice welcome mat. And like anything, like once it's got momentum and it's trendy, then it starts to steamroll. So I think we can thank Jack Luke for that. (laughs) (laughs) I think putting my pragmatic tech hat on my bike radar hat on, I would say that the, um, the versatility offered by gravel bikes, which we covered endlessly on this podcast and variously on the site. But I think it's the idea of a gravel bike really appeals to more people than a road bike in that it is genuinely more versatile. It doesn't have to go super fast. But most people don't really care about going super fast. They just want a bike that'll essentially do nearly everything. And for us three, like, I had six bikes in my living room over the weekend, which is definitely at the excessive end of the spectrum. Most people don't have the luxury of of patient partners and uh, an unhealthy relationship with bikes. Most people just want one. And I think for me, that sort of appeal of a do-all gravel bike is probably a large part of why it's become sure. so popular. And, and Elizabeth and Jack, I know you guys said that you know we're not going to pin this gravel just to events but i do think events are uh a a key part of the growth um in that and this is you know i'm certainly biased here and that i have friends that put on events and i love doing events myself but you know giving people something to look forward to and put on their calendar is a hugely motivating thing for one right like that gets you out on the bike more it gives you a reason to, you know, regardless of how seriously you're taking it, but like if you're doing a longer distance thing, you should probably do some prep. So it's just a good excuse and find yourself training more. So nah, like that's, nah, that's- go in it blind. <laughs> just go in it blind. Do what I did. Have a horrible, horrible time out and you get, it means you've got lots to talk about after. You get to sandbag your way around. Sure. You, either you have a good experience or you have a good story. Yeah. yeah so it's a win-win. <laughs> um, but also the the uh, many of the events and, th- and ones like the Mid-South in Stillwater, Oklahoma, as an example, I live a town. They become huge community hubs where the time on the bike during the event when the clock is running is only a portion of what you were there for. So, you know, like Mid-South happens on a Saturday, but people start getting into town like on a Wednesday night uh, because there's parties and concerts and shakeout rides have become their own thing like there's like a half dozen or so official shakeout rides before the mid-south and many more just casual to get togethers where the in often at least in america you know a lot of gravel events are in smaller towns and the bigger it gets the more the bike nerds sort of take over and it's like a woods rolling two-wheeled woodstock where it's just a fun social time and there's a lot of casual rides and um just general tomfoolery around it so like that's and that's not something you can do on your own so i think you know the and events just start riffing off each other too like the promoters love riding bikes that's why they're doing the thing and they love going to each other's events and just sort of like with musicians seeing other musicians do something different like oh that's cool the way like you you know, you've used this pedal or you brought in the drums there and then they'll go back and, and cook up something in their own shop. Wow, this is a far out analogy, Ben. I like it. <laughs> We're just getting started, man. Just getting started. Catherine, yeah. have you have you done the Reaver? Have you been to Kielder before? I haven't, actually. Kielder is a very, very strange place. It is like 
bad. You couldn't be further away, I think, from the sea in the UK. It's like super in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Tiny, tiny, tiny village. And when the event is on, it's very, very similar to you're saying, Ben. Like, it's by no means like a town where anything is there. It's more a ruckle of houses. But I imagine for that kind of place, it's a big part of the year for them, really, where like there's, there's not, it's not the only cycling event that takes place there. But I'm sure they're well more than happy to have, you know, a thousand cyclists or whatever descend on it every year. It's a great thing for these sort of rural places. Yeah, I remember I was lucky enough to do Unbound in, I think, 2018, about then. And that was one of the things that struck me the most is walking down the town in, is it Euphoria? In Kansas. Imp- <laughs> Imp- Euphoria? Emporia. We are, we are, it felt it like now, Euphoria. <laughs> from now forward, it will be Euphoria, Kansas. Yeah, Emporia. Close. Emporia, yes. I like And this. just every single <laughs> shop had, or like cafe or any sort of building would have signs and like things encouraging riders. And everyone was so stoked that they had God knows how many thousands of riders descend <laughs> on their tiny town. And yeah, like generally heartfelt and meant it as well, which I think for maybe in contrast to some events that we see um, in the UK. It's quite a shock in a very pleasant way. And that was really cool. I think communities as well, if you look outside of the idea of like literal communities and towns, um, I know it's going to be a subject of one of your other podcasts in the series, Catherine, but, you know, the sort of um, hype, the gangs, gravel gangs that exist is (laughs) very, very different in terms of vibe, but also how many there are. It's like newer clubs that sort of exist around gravel riding. You've done a couple of cool things as well with like the Kamut Women's Rally, for example. Yeah, you've you've probably better place to talk about gravel community than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been really lucky to get involved with all sorts and, you know, travel around and go and ride with um, New Forest Off-Road Club or, um, yeah, different events abroad or, that, yeah, there's so many different things popping up. And I think that's just inspiring more and more people to start these groups. The thing that um, I was just thinking about just then, Ben was describing these events and like not just being the day that you're riding, it turning into almost like a festival atmosphere. And I was thinking, I wonder, because I'd never been to one myself, but people tell me about, you know, old school mountain biking races having this sort of festival atmosphere. But I wonder whether as mountain biking has become more serious and people have taken their training more seriously and the the competition, um, whether that sort of left this space almost for people in the gravel cycling world to sort of bring that into it. Do you think that would be fair to say, Ben, or am I completely off the mark? Uh, It depends on who you ask, like anything else in this world. And I think some mountain bikers would would take issue with that. What are you talking about? We're still fun. Let me just finish my FTP test and, yeah. and finish you know, my skin suit zipping up here. And I'll tell you about how much fun we're having here. Um, yeah. And, and, and at the same time, you could argue that some gravel racing is now taking itself too mm. seriously and is trampling on its own spirit of gravel by, you know, obsessing about rules and times and, and kind of missing the original point. But yeah, there's, I mean, that's, What's what's so fun about it? Like it's a big world. There's room for all of that. You can you can do the UCI World Gravel Championships if you like, or you can go ride with your buddies and by yourself and you know ride for two miles and have a three hour picnic in the middle of it. Like <laughs> you can still be a chucklehead to use one of your favorite terms I learned in a favorite podcast and still win races, Ben, which you do. <laughs> yes, yes, you can do all those things. Oh, I've made him blush. Yeah, I mean, there was some initial concern that, you know, part of what 
made mountain biking too serious was the Olympic pursuit chase, which uh, gave governing bodies regulation over events. And so for the, for the, you know, elite level athletes who were trying to get to the Olympics, you know, it became this points chase where things got funneled down um, and that regulated all the events down to a grassroots level. Um, I don't think gravel is in any danger of being included in the Olympic games. Uh, so it's still this wide open thing of, yeah, the event promoters can do whatever they like. Um, the, you know, insurance and safety are now kind of the guardrails or should be the guardrails for some of the events. And that's, that's, that will be interesting to watch the development over the next few years. These events, you know, there's two, three, four, 5,000 people going out at once. And that's, and soften in major metropolitan areas. So that's a very different kettle of fish than like the original trans Iowa with 12 people going out on a farm road, <laughs> like no rules, man, just do what you want. Like that's fine and good when it's just you and your buddies, but when there's thousands of people out on the roads and now sometimes paid road with cars, like it does help to have some sort of organization and some adults in the room, <laughs> right, trying to sort that out. So I think that's, that's the, hurdle to face is how how can we keep each other safe out there uh and still have it be this wild and free weird and woolly thing weird and woolly i like that mm-hmm. that's a that's a thing to aim for in all <laughs> aspects of life <laughs> yeah. yeah if you go to scotland that's sort of built in right of course mm, yeah, it's exactly. gonna be woolly like that <laughs> <laughs> so do you reckon we've reached peak gravel or do you think there's still more to go I think there's way more to go. I think um, events-wise, it'll continue to grow. I think in popularity, it'll turn to grow. We talked about this in a podcast uh, start of this year, Ben, maybe end of last year. We were talking about gravel trends. I think tech-wise, there's room for new stuff and there'll be further diversification between gravel bikes from the super gnarly, shreddy, basically mountain bike type gravel bikes to more racing-focused stuff. Mm. So no, I don't think peak gravel ever be the thing, but you could say that about road bikes, couldn't you? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a bit of a vague woolly, to use the yes. woolly word again, <laughs> woolly thing to, Wilde or... to define. But I, I don't think gravel as a category in itself has sort of peaked. To put a boring point on it, as a category on bike radar, obviously, you know, I'm in there with the numbers. Um, <laughs> gra- gravel is still growing for us. You know, people kind of scoff and roll their eyes at it. But the fact is, as a category on site, it's something more and more and more and more and more people look at every single year. Um, and, you know, it's true of things like e-bikes as well, but definitely gravel bike hype is not over. I just wish we had the metrics for how many of the people like three or four years ago who were saying, it's just 90s mountain biking, <laughs> now have gravel bikes or e-gravel bikes and absolutely loving it. How many hats have been eaten? Yes. <laughs> what do you think ben do you think there's still room for a lot more development like in the u.s scene or do you think it's already really well established no it's still rolling i mean to jack's point looking at the numbers if you talk to us you know like i don't know if carlton reed is still running bike biz but or like a steve frothingham at bicycle retailer yeah gravel and e-bike are the two you know steep curves um sorry podcast listeners i'll get them gesturing here like you can see what a steep curve looks like <laughs> um, yeah growing quickly in terms of bike sales and you know media interests stories you know probably still not or certainly still not as large a general category as road cycling but whereas road has been pretty flat like there's many of us who 
you know, loved it 10 years ago are still loving it now. There's a lot more people coming into gravel, which is a great thing. And, you know, some ways we called gravel a, like a long range cyclocross and cross, and at least from my perspective, didn't create a lot of new users. There were people who were already riding bikes who were like, oh, let's give this a whack. Some from road, some from mountain bike. And that's certainly the case with some of gravel riders. They were already riding some kind of bike. And now they're getting on one of these, you know, sometimes after Elizabeth, you say, having made fun of it for years. And I'm certainly absolutely in that category myself. But but additionally, there are also a lot of folks who uh, the gravel bike is their first bike, at least as an adult, right? So that's that's a cool thing. And that's encouraging. With events, um, there are so many now that it's not so much, I don't know, I'd be curious curious to see where events go in that once upon a time there were fewer events. So just a matter of like, can you get into Unbound? Can you get into uh, Mid-South or Steamboat? And those those events still, there's a feeding frenzy around registration, but then there's just, if you go on gravelcalendar.com, there's thousands of events so it's almost too much choice now in terms of events and it may be the same case with bikes i had two things to ask you ben first you called Catherine and Elizabeth <laughs> twice by accident. <laughs> you clearly got Elizabeth. Can I just let you carry on? <laughs> I was going to just yeah. let you carry on, but I, didn't want to, uh, I just wanted to make you shy. The second thing I was going to ask. Catherine, I apologize. <laughs> I'm a moron. <laughs> Re- like, bearing in mind, we live in the UK, which is probably like the size of some farms in your state. You know, like for us, gravel has taken over. Like, regionally within the US, do you think, like... It, you know, it's always been quite established in your sort of part of the country, a little bit to the west and the east. But like, you know, has it taken over entirely? And then even looking outside of the states, you know, is there room for further growth outside of that? Do you think, Ben? Sorry, saying um, yeah, there's more, there's more growth. Has it taken over entirely? No, there's still plenty of road and mountain bike cycling that's um, well established and isn't going away. Um, but yes, room for growth for sure. Yeah. I don't see that, that, uh, upward curve leveling off for at least a couple of years. Do you have any fun gravel events on the horizon? Oodles. Oodles. <laughs> Oodles. Yeah. So wild horse gravel, Jack, which if that is in fact your correct name that I'm calling you, <laughs> 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 um, is coming up May 20th on the western slope of the Rockies in western Colorado. I did that trip in 2019? Eight? No, 2019 with Ben, and it was wonderful. It was very, very cool being as my only taste of the U.S. gravel scene, and it was uh, really hard <laughs> and really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the next one. We're going out there for that. I'm going to take a suspension gravel bike, another bike that I scoffed at for a while, just a general category. Like, ah, we're just riding a mountain bike. I'm like, oh, I'll ride that. Thanks. A giant Revolt X um, with big old fatty 50 mil tires uh, and a dropper post. And then, so that's May 20. And then I'll be doing Unbound Gravel again in early June in Euphoria, Kansas. <laughs> as, as Catherine, not Elizabeth. See, we're, we're level now. We're equal. How about you, Catherine? Any tasty gravel events for you this year? Well, you were just saying about. Um the scope for gravel riding in other places apart from the UK and US. And I, I'm i a bit of a map nerd 
And I spend quite a lot of my time on OSM, which is essentially the digital base map behind apps like Kamut, Rival GPS, etc. And sort of updating stuff, because as you could imagine, in places like, you know, um, highly populated places, it gets updated really regularly and it tends mm. to be quite accurate. But there are so many places where... My friend is touring around Ireland at the moment and what appears to be just a road is just like premium gravel. <laughs> but it's it's because it's so sparsely populated, it hasn't been updated. And, you know, I've been updating things in Finland and um, Kyrgyzstan and all of these places that has incredible scenery and um, scope for riding gravel that is relatively untapped at the moment. And I'm going to throw in a humble brag Please. that I am going to Sri Lanka to ride my gravel bike, um, five days bike packing from coast to coast um, in a couple of weeks, and I'm dead excited about that. And I, I just think, yeah, okay, why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> why not take your gravel bike to all of these, you know, remote places all over the world um, cool. as a mode of exploring? Yeah. So I think we'll see a lot more of that actually. Question for you: When you go to Sri Lanka, are you taking an electronic drivetrain or an acoustic drivetrain? Um, Acoustic. I've pla- oh, planned on taking my own, um, which is a wonderful, you'll like this, mullet mix of XT, DI2 and GRX levers. But I feel like that's a leading question. <laughs> is it something to do with humidity? It's not going to play ball. Oh, no, nothing to do with humidity. It's just I'm just thinking about my own poor lack of planning and I would end up in the middle of nowhere with a dead battery and with yeah. my charger safe at home. See, my very but old school. I think school, you're, a, yeah. if you're the type of person who's like, not just researching, but updating OSM yeah. files, <laughs> you, you've probably got that well. You've got me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, I've got that the, the first junction box, I think, that Shimano made. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually external. It's got a little screen on it so you can see your battery life um and which gear you're in and it beeps at you when you're in the highest and lowest gear which i love (laughs) yeah cool um so everyone always comes up to me and says are you riding an e-bike and i say yeah (laughs) 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 um so that that's pretty handy so fingers crossed i should be all right with battery life got me worried now (laughs) (laughs) oh that sounds like a great time jealous so i think we've seen there there is plenty more scope for gravel gravel riding, gravel racing, events, communities to continue to grow over the next few years and beyond. And we're going to be looking a bit more in depth into those over the next coming podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bike Radar podcast and a huge thank you to Ben and Jack for joining us today. Keep your eyes peeled for the rest of our Future of Gravel series and we'll be back next week with a delightfully juicy topic on the future of gravel tech. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.